This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. For an entire generation, people have experienced Star Wars, the only way it's been possible, on the TV screen. But if you've only seen it this way, you haven't seen it at all. This is where the fun begins. Chewing. We're home. Hello there. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Blue Milk Cafe. Grab an empty stool at the counter, order a cup of Jawa juice and a nice slice of Yogan fruit pie, and get ready because we're about to talk all things Star Wars. Good morning, Masas, and welcome back into the cafe. This is episode 158. I am your host, Jeff. And I'm one of the travelers from around the galaxy, Earl Farnboy. Yes, and this week we are continuing our way, way back with season two of The Mandalorian. This week, chapter 14, The Tragedy, and uh, this has to be another one of my faves from this season it was probably one of the shorter episodes one of the quickest paced episodes um and you know we get to see boba in all his glory again Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah and i was as i was watching this this time i was thinking the title of the episode the tragedy i'm like yeah the tragedy is you know, the child gets taken, Grogu gets taken, but the real tragedy is Mando loses the Razor Crest. I mean, when when that actually happened in the episode the first time, I was literally in shock. I was like, "Oh my God, the dude just lost his home." Because if you think about it, <laughs> that's where we see him. I mean, he's never. He didn't really have a place that he called home where he went home, put his feet up, had a beer, you know. He hung in the Razor Crest, and it was just a little little shock to me when that scene happened the first time. And even this time, I kind of let out a little gasp, too. I was like, shit. I said, that's right. This is the episode where he loses home. So, but yeah, nothing against the Naboo Starfighter that he ends up getting, but come on. There's not a lot of room in that Starfighter. So, but, yeah. Uh, that, that was a, definitely a shocker to a great many of us. Also, in that it was right around the time, I want to say, Hasbro Pulse HasLab had put out one of their really biggest projects that were just coming into folks and friends' hands 
that had the, let's say it was $350 that put out the three and three quarter inch scale razor crest that folks were just getting that put their put their credits down for it. And yeah, it turned up that they blow it up. I mean, some folks were having issues with it, and I, it took me straight back to, I can't remember exactly when it was that it came out, maybe a decade previous, um, with Java's sail barge, the Katana. The same okay. thing happened. Nobody got upset over that. Right. But, yeah. But. <clears throat> Let's jump into this episode and RFB. Since you, you you've been doing a tremendous job walking us through the the episode, so why don't you go ahead and start us out with with uh, the tragedy? Alrighty, will do. Just punching the play on my fire pad. Yeah, this starts out with Ben and Grogu in the crest. He says we locked off that he knows where he's got to go. And that would be to, I want to say this is what this planet from Legends into canon, I think. And if I'm wrong, feel free to roll farm boy at Gmail and wouldn't be the first time I ate, ate crow. And I'm happy to be corrupted to the planet Tython and looking on the galaxy map, if you're that kind of nerd like I am, it is a core world planet, so the very center of the galaxy, and it would be sort of northerly word, northeasterly word. If you look yeah. at the, the core, would be a circle in the center of the galaxy that would be right between the 12.30, 1 o'clock, if you're looking at it on the face of a, a clock, an analog clock, is where Tython would be found. So they're in the crust on their way to Tython. And Din's watching Grogu. He's still kind of get comfortable with his his name, and the kids. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, the kid sitting in in his seat off the behind Din's right side, and he's playing with that that throttle shifter knob. Yeah, and his favorite thing. Yeah, Din's just kind of watching him with wonder. The kid's kind of twirling around in his hands and looking at it. It's a neat little, neat little interaction between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, I can put that up here. <laughs> yep, the same way. Seen somebody in the Twitterverse friends did put up a poll out of those two sounds that Grogu just made. Which one did they like most? Oh my god! Yeah, it, it's out there running. I can't recall who it, exactly it was, but if you see it, go go put up a vote on it. It's a fun little thing. So then uh, tries this again. He, he takes the shifter knob from from Grogu and holds it up, and yeah, just like before, and he wants to. Have him take it. Right. And sure, straight enough, he does. He, he he wants to play with that thing. So, zip, out from between Din's finger and thumb, 
Yeah, and he gets pretty excited over it that the kid did that. Yeah, mad. He drops it thinking he done something wrong, and he then explains to him, no, that you didn't do anything wrong. He's just really excited that he can do those kinds of things. It makes him a special little youngin. Right. Yeah, and this is – he wants to find that place that he feels – Grogu would belong to to help him with the things he can do and teach him more about maybe things he ain't yet familiar with. Right, right. Still building us up towards the season finale and the big emotional, you know, gut punch that we all get in that season finale. Yeah, I think Dan's kind of trying to help set himself up for – Doing what every parent has to do at one point is, at one or another point, you got to let your kids, they're already on their own two feet and have spent some time with you. And at some point, they got to go do uh, and and carry on for themselves. I think he's trying to help set himself up for that. So then we get planet side, the Razor Crest is in the atmosphere, and it looks that Tython is sort of a desert planet, very hilly, mountainy, lots of greenery, lots of rocks, a desert of sorts, if you will. Yeah. So, uh, well, what do you want to say? You want to say uh, very hilly. Mm-hmm. Very Western Pennsylvania. There you go. This is this is what looking at while the crest is still up, that's pretty much what all of Western Pennsylvania from all the way up in Erie and running that's what the Appalachian Mountains and Hills look like where I live. Just throw in a lot of forest too. So the crest is circling around, he's found this Jedi Temple. It is on the top of a very high hill, and it's got a flat surface to it, but the temple has these spires that kind of angle up out of the ground, and there's no no place that he can land the crest. So he's got to find somewhere a little bit off to the distance. And he, he, tells, he tells Grogu, oh, we're going to ride with the windows down, and the next thing we see is... Then jetpacking across through the the skies of Tython with Grogu under his left arm and the kids' ears flapping in the breeze, kind yeah. of having they're making their way to the to the temple and they get there and then puts down and walks to the center of the temple where there's this very big large rounded stone, big and large. Okay, and he walks up to it, and it's got it's in, carved with what looks to me um, in a font that's very similar to. I want to say it's it looks very Sithy. It's a uh, digging through some of uh, Auric fonts. It would be what would it be called? 
We spoke to it with uh, oh. oh, haven't yet. It's called Urkatat, or something similar to it. And and sets the kid down, and he's looking for some kind of control. And then right. we see, uh, yeah, the kid's kind of, he's kind of wondrous looking. He's looking around, and we see these little blue butterflies flitting around. And then there's this sound off to the distance, and it it's coming near to where they are. And then looks up, and we see the shape of another starship. Slave one. Yeah, it looks like it, uh, an elephant's head when it's in flight position. And yeah. he, he ain't quite sure who this is, but they've been found. Yeah, a little quick note to this scene, though. When yeah. I remember when my wife and I were first watching this episode, we heard the sound before they panned up and showed what it was. I told her, I yep. said, I said, no here comes, I said, here comes Slave One. Yeah, there ain't no other starship that sounds like the Slave One. Nope. It has a very distinct sound to it. And, yep. yeah, and gets flipped out, and he goes for the kid, and he's already in his meditation. There's a blue wall of force energy that encircles the seeing stone that got him kind of protected and then goes to get the kid and it's literally he gets forced thrown back. He tries to punch through it and ain't happening. Right. So he then says, Steve, you can hurry this up. I'm I'm going to go see what the, what all this is. And he starts making his way down from the temple, down the slope of the hillside, down into a pretty big rocky spot. And he's looking around, and then there's some incoming blaster rifle fire, which gets him to take cover behind a really big boulder. Yeah, and then we hear it. Yep. Just what he said, I've been tracking you, Mandalorian. And Din has no clue who this is. Nope. No, he asked him, you a Jedi? And he says, No, we know what he's after. Yeah. He takes his hood off. And it's Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah, well, he doesn't know just yet because it weren't explained to him when he had met Cobb Vant exactly who all and what this was. And likely Cobb didn't know either. No, he just got off of some Jawas, man. Mm-hmm. Now, when that shows up, He's got a cycler rifle slung on his back and what looks to be a custom-made Gadurfi or Gaffy stick. Yeah. They have a nice little back and forth between the both of them. Boba says he's there for the armor and then says, well, it belongs with Mandalorians. And 
that says, well, that armor belonged to his father, and now right. it's his. Because at first, Ben thinks he wants, that wants his armor. Well, no, that ain't the case. We have another little back and forth between that and him about having a conversation, and then he's, that says, I can just drop you right there, and then there's a little comment from off to the side that Fennec Shand is there too, which pretty much has been really shook up. He thought he was gone. <coughs> the quick little comment about Fennec got Grogu in her sights, which then says, yeah, you let him be or I'll drop you both. And then that kind of calms it down. He's like, everybody put down their weapons and let's let's have a chat about this. And tells Fennec to stand down. So she comes down. And Ben's still pretty shook. She says, it looks like you've seen a goat. And yeah, I love how she can tell his Facebook expressions behind a helmet. But that was a funny little comment. I thought the first time I watched it. Like, yeah, it looks like you've just seen a ghost. But, you know, can't see your face. but. Your body language. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen quite a bit of that so far through through this season and last season about expressions without being able to see somebody's face. Yep. The the different actors from Pedro to Brandon Wayne, Latif Crowder. Yeah, absolutely excellent acting abilities. And then it shows them that, you know, Boba said they were both left for dead. And sometimes fate steps in to rescue the wretched. And then in that conversation, they're interrupted by the arrival of an Imperial troop transporter or troop shuttle, which yeah. is to resemble a little bit, maybe the designers, uh, Sinar Fleet Systems upgraded their troop transports from not just Sentinel class. Now they're starting to have a, a sleeker, boxier sort of look to what we see, oh, 30 plus, 28 years later on Jakku. And the first order is around. Oh, yeah. Yep. This troop transport sets down and puts out a couple squads of stormtroopers. So Din and Fat and Fennec take up positions. That's got his cycler, and Fennec's got her custom sniper rifle, and Din's got his IV-94 blaster because he left the pulse rifle on the grass. And they start taking down some troopers, trying to stop their advance. And as with troopers in numbers, when there's enough of them, it, they can give you a run for your money, and they do. They start spreading out, and their commander, wearing the orange pauldron, takes his troopers. Yeah, he spreads them out, come at them from all different angles. And then we get into some really wicked 
pretty much what turned out to be hand-to-hand. Uh, somebody once said, uh, you're likely ain't going to win bringing a knife to a gunfight. Right. Well, the troopers brought the blasters, but they weren't ready because that's hiding behind rocks and boulders. And, and he brings the gap, you say. <laughs> yeah, these troopers are coming at him from different angles, trying to pin them down. But they weren't ready for Fett and his custom gaffy stick. As they're trying to pin them down, we start to hear this theme music that Ludwig Gorenson had drummed up for both of them. It's amazing. In this fight, yeah, there for a time, this was my ringtone. Yeah, it speaks to his character, and he ain't to be trifled with. If you want to go into a fight with that, you better be ready to lay it down or get put down. This whole sequence here, I'm thinking in the back of my head, this is for all the original Jersey fans. Yeah, plastoid armor can take a plastoid armor can take a beating. It's a little more sturdy than what some folks think. But this gaffy stick is just literally shattering armor. Yeah, and I was gonna say, I know some fans say, "Oh yeah, Boba Fett was cool looking," but he didn't do anything in the original trilogy. Well, you know what? Now you see how, you know, this is Boba Fett. This is why he had a reputation. He is similar in a way to Den. He won't take life for the sake of taking life. Right. You got to give him a really solid reason. And like the previous, if you're going to go into a fake face in him, you better go in with all you got because and he's going to bring everything he's got. Yep. And I, I have a feeling. Yeah, Django was that way too. I have a feeling. Even though we didn't see much of his character development in Attack of the Clones, but I feel his father would have been the same way. His father was a family, so. Agreed. Not going into a fight for the sake of a fight. you got to give him a reason, and there is a reason. So while Fett's doing his part, Fennec makes her way up into a higher part, and she's getting pinned down as troopers are just setting up an E-Web blaster cannon. And right before she can get the gunner in her sights, he opens up. Full automatic blaster fire. And she's pinned down behind a boulder. And the trooper starts setting to thinking, I'm, I'm thinking his, his line was, well, if I, I blast the hell out of the boulder, I'll eventually get to her. <laughs> Maybe not the best in the way of tactics. And... Then there's a, a, a mortar trooper set up a few dozen yards behind him with yellow markings in his armor and a literal uh, proton mortar. And he's lobbing mortar rounds at Fennec, landing all around her, trying to get his um, his bearing on where she's at. And the second or third round he launches ends up being right in front of this boulder that she's pinned down behind and loosens it up. 
And Fennec's kind of getting herself positioned when all of a sudden she realizes, hey, this thing's loose. So maybe I'm better off staying step put here. And she she settles herself, gets herself set, and props her feet up on the boulder and just pushes what all get out. And the thing eventually gives, and it starts rolling straight down to and takes out the E-Web, the gunner behind it, and one of the other troopers. As the thing's rolling, you can literally see the poor bastard just get stuck to the boulder as it's rolling, and you kind of see him flip-flopping as the thing rolls on down the hill. little Looney Tune there. Yeah, yeah. of course. To put some that, funny thoughts. That's... Star Wars silliness right there. Yeah, it is. Have fun with it. Just let let, let the storyteller have fun with it. And then we cut over to five or six troopers coming at Fennec from all different points. Yeah, from behind her, from in front of her, to her left, to her right. And, yeah, she's running because there's just numbers. Um, Right. At one point, she does. She takes down five or six of them, and as they're giving chase, um, she even does one of what Ningna is really good at too. She might have had a, a part in, in doing some uh, one or two of her own stunts when um, she does a running leap off of a boulder and takes down two troopers and does a tuck and roll as she lands, and yep. as she does. Another troop transport comes to set down. So there's even more troopers coming. Yep. Just keep sending them. Mm-hmm. So while this, those two, Fett and Fennec, are, are everybody's kind of split apart right now. So Ben makes his way back up the hill to try to get the kid. And he's still enveloped in, in that force energy. And then tries a second and third time to get him and is literally forced thrown back the, the second time, nearly clean off the hinge of the temple. Yeah. So I, I don't think he was wondering when he was going to learn. <laughs> yeah, if it didn't work the first time, it didn't work the second time, it clearly ain't going to work the third time. You have to wait till he's done. So. Well, also speaking as a parent, when your kid's kind of wrapped up in something that is literally preventing you from helping any parent would do the same thing, even knowing that if it's impossible, you're going to try that anyway. Just you're trying to do what's best to help protect the kid. Right. So then urges him, just can you please hurry up? I'm going to get down. I'm going to protect you. And is. ID-94 back out of his holster, and back down the hill he goes. And right as we get the cutoff of Din making his way back down, um, Grogu finishes up. The the force energy disappears, and it very clearly taxed him. Oh, yeah, he's worn out. Yeah, he's very winded and lays himself down to regather his energy. And the next squads of troopers are just making their way toward Fennec. 
saying, yeah, we're not here for you. We want the kid. Yep. And then makes his way down and meets up with Fennec. Yep, and they pair it up. And she says, no, she's got his back. And she says, is this, this really looking bad? Then says, well, I've seen worse. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> I can't imagine how much more worse. Well, we have seen in spots some pretty tough stuff that he's been through. Um, also to speak to where folks and friends have this fun time saying troopers can't hit their marks and Din's taking shots off his best guard left and right. Yeah. So clearly hitting marks. Just thankful that it is Beskar, or he would have been put yeah. down quick. Oh, yeah. And then from out of the sky, drops a grab chart. And we've seen Din use these a few times. He used two of them to blow the wing off of Gideon's tie Outlander fighter. They're the, the taller silver discs that have the the red light dome that he carries. You can see them on, on his uh, belt off to the left side, opposite his, where his blaster is. One of them falls onto the ground, and you can see the, the lights blinking that the countdown's nearly done, and it takes out about four or five troopers. Yeah. And then we can see one kind of with his head down, and that lands from his jetpack right behind him in his armor. Yep. This looking the same way that it was when Cobb Vanth gave it up. Yep. And I, I kind of like the look. He threw it on over his uh, his robe. And I just thought that was a cool look there. Yeah, it is. Very much is. But, yeah, this is – and, of course, you had to have that dramatic, you know, reveal shot when the stormtroopers – rising back up to his feet, and then he turn, slowly turns around, and then they reveal Boba standing there on top of the rock. It was just awesome. Then Boba proceeds to kick a little ass. Yeah, he's got a uh, wrist laser on, on his left van brace. He, uh, now, Gappy stick aside, He's got a, blast, a heavy blaster pistol. Yeah, he takes out one trooper with the, the wrist laser, and then a couple more off to his right with this heavy blaster. And then he takes a couple really menacing steps forward, and we get to see uh, some friends in my way back listening were never familiar with this, and they have uh, been the thing we've just never got to see a Mandalorian or that in particular use right. or the, the the knee plate armor that he has are he's got them painted yellow and on the outer sides of them are knee rocket darts yeah I had to take it back a couple of times when we first saw it yeah they were, I'm like did he just think out of his knee I'm like what the hell uh huh. They were. I was. I can say that I was definitely familiar with them with the original Visual Dictionary from 1998. They're they're 
listed in there. Okay. And a lot of friends, even if they had that book over the years, I can see how that could get uh, a right. very small detail get forgotten. Yeah, a lot of folks weren't weren't really sure. I've heard them called all kinds of goofy, different little things, and knowing what they were, and I'm like, yeah, they 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 always been a thing. It's something that yeah. a lot of folks weren't really familiar with. Yep, I was one of them. Go ahead, John. I was just gonna say, yeah, those were cool. I said I wasn't. I was one of the ones that wasn't um, familiar with. Sure. He originally did have two, and one seems to be got lost, maybe in the Sarlacc, maybe in his eventual escape from. He's only got the one, and it's on his right knee. Where the job was sold to someone else. Yeah, he launches a couple of those and takes out two or three troopers. And then another one off to his left where he's likely using his peripheral vision out of the T-visor. He doesn't even look to his left. It just blasts across across his body, takes out a trooper. And then we get this fantastic, badass shot. The troopers are retreating. What's left of them make their way to the to the two troop transports. Have it and, pause up here because I got to watch this again. Yeah, <laughs> who amongst us after your first watch didn't have to go back and scrub through to do this like four or five more times just watching this? The yeah. transport literally touching off from the ground while the ramp's still down, and last second troopers are just jumping onto the ramp before they draw it closed. Draw them closed. We can see them. Do a 180 degree turn, and they're making their climb to the skies. That's very menacingly making his way across the rocky spot, the rocky clearing that he he's uh, got. Watching the troop transport, and then he he touches his right hand upside his the right side of his helmet, and drops his rangefinder, and he targets. He's targeting. The, the lower of the two transports. And then he makes that action figure bend forward that we all done as we was kids if you, if you had the three and three quarter inch Boba Fett. Oh yeah. And launches a rocket. Like I said, he targeted the lower of the two. You can clearly see in his rangefinder that he's targeting, um, the center, the rear center of it. And as rocket takes off, launches, it hits the cockpit of the the one above the one he originally targeted and hits it. And then with that direct hit, it starts, it falls into the one right below it and they both go crash into the ground in this huge explosion. Yeah, we got to play this one because Fennec and, and then are coming up behind Boba, just watching this this little takedown that he did. Yeah. There's that by way of music. <laughs> I was aiming for the other one. Literally, he was. <laughs> and yeah. there it is. Gone.
one neat little funny spot, and then just like Jeff said at the opener, the crust is gone. Just yeah. obliterated. Nobody had any clue. It was there one minute, and then it was gone. Yep. Yeah, and this had some folks I was kind of listening to that were kind of fearful for the Slave One. Cause oh, yeah. A comment to that: You better get to your ship. Um, there wouldn't have been any any real worry of it if Gideon had any clue who Boba Fett was, because the only way that uh, the crust was in danger is because that Mimini's spy put a tracker on it. So the slave one is likely in safe in a safe spot. Gideon wouldn't have had any clue that it, that neither Boba or Fennec were there. That that weren't who he was after or even nearly concerned over. He was after Din and after the kid. And he dealt Din a pretty hard hit. Yeah. So, like you said, it was his home. So... Yep, and then we get taken to a view of the bridge of this Arquentin's class light cruiser. And we get Moff Gideon standing on the bridge. And he asks if the dark troopers have been engaged. And now we're really getting to see what we were just kind of getting little peaks previously a couple chapters back. And oh, yeah. Sitting at the console is Lieutenant Lieutenant Eli Kane, who we now know is her name. We just knew her as comms officer, played brilliantly by Katie O'Brien. Yep, who had a bigger role than we thought. Yeah, she has one of her code cylinders on her comm station plugged in, and she flips a couple control buttons and says momentarily Moff Gideon and then we get a shot from the the lower front side of this Arquentins out of one of the side launch bays and we are shown four figures that are launching which are dark troopers they have have, uh, built in rocket jets in their feet and they are making their way very quickly. Kind of reminds me of seeing the the Viper probe droids in their hyperspace pods. The one we see that drops on Hawk. It kind of gives me right. feels to that. Yeah, they're putting down quick. And Din can see this. And him and Fennec are taking off at a run to try to get up to the hens. But four of the dark troopers put down at like the four points of a square all around the seeing stone. And and Grogu's still pretty much out of it. Oh, yeah. He's just waking up when they grab him, so. Mm Mm-hmm. So they set off to a very quick pace, the four dark troopers do, and right as Din and Fennec get to the top of the henge, the nearest dark trooper reaches out with a hand, 
snags the kid, and as soon as he's in hand, they set back off. They launch back up on their way back up to the light cruiser. And Din can't do a damn thing about it. No. He puts on his thermal imaging finder, and you can see the kid, ears flapping, little frown on his poor little face, getting took away. And we see the slave one is in the sky. And Fennec urges Boba, they got the kid. Go take him out. And Din says, well, I don't want the kid harmed. So Fennec reminds him, they got the kid. Don't take him out. So that says, all right, I'll do a loose follow. Right. And that he does. He can see them making their way up. And as he gets closer and kind of breaks through some of the clouds, he has a moment moment where he's a little bit, he's shook. He sees the light. And he he says they're back, and Fennec's like, "Who's back?" And yep. it's like he still can't believe his eyes. He's like, "The Empire, they're back." Yep. Well, they and, didn't leave, right? But yeah, it's, it's a shock to him. He's been, you know, on Tatooine, yeah, you know, living with uh, the Tusken Raiders, which we come to find out later. But yeah, for a couple of years. So, yeah, he doesn't know all this stuff, and, yeah, it looks like he, he was kind of shocked to see it, and I like how he said, this is no spice screen. I can see the cruiser with my own eyes. Mm-hmm. And before he can do anything about it, it jumps off to light speed. Yep. So now Gideon's got the kid. So then that heads back down. And then we get a shot from above looking down at the big dark ass spot of well, what used to be Chris. Yeah, it used to be and Fat and Fennec are respectfully off at a distance. Watching Din. Seeing what survived, basically. He's picking through, find finding different parts. Of what? Well, yeah, when he, yeah, when he found that shifter knob, oh my God, the tears come to my eyes. Mm-hmm. But at least it survived. That was the only part, and the one thing that weren't a part of the crest that survived was that Beskar spear. Oh yeah. And it is in fact a spear, folks. It's not a staff. <laughs> yeah, you can clearly see it's a spear. Yeah, I've corrected some folks speaking to me from way back in the past quite a few times. A staff's one thing. Yep. That would be what uh, Donatello of the Turtles uses. Now, this in fact yeah, is Staff doesn't have like a pointy you know, end to no. it. But anyway. He, yeah, he does be technical here, but yeah. So he dusts that thing off, yeah, and it is in pristine shape and makes his way back up to Fennec and Fett. Like I said, we're respectfully off at a distance. Oh, yeah, then this. Thank you. 
Yes, in the Mandalorian font. That's one that I ain't familiar with that I can I I can read like I can Arabesh. If any folks and friends that are Mandalorian supporters and are interested in wanting to learn to read that, the same place that I schooled myself in Arabesh, um, literally www.arabesh.org. If you look up along the search bar on the top of their page, you will find another page that will take you to that font and what each of its symbols that relates to letters in the alphabet of our galaxy. You can school yourself in learning to read that. I can think of a few Mando Mando friends that might, if they had the time, parents and whatnot. Um, Mandalorian Mark, our Twitter Star Wars Twitterverse friend, uh, Boston police officer, who is all things Mando. Yeah, I've tagged him a couple times and said, Mark, if you're kind of interested and you want to learn, like I can read Arvesh, you can learn to, to read Mandoa. Yeah. Yeah, we do get this neat little thing that weren't previously canon. Um, even George Lucas had spoke to before the canon that we have now, saying that, no, Django weren't never a Mandalorian, and that would also make neither was Boba Fett. Well, now Django is a Mandalorian. Yep, he was a family, just like Din. But, Matt, uh, Django only. I've right. heard it to quite a few times that folks are convinced that Boba Fett also is, and he told us clearly when he, he walked agree. over that little, he walked over that little rise before after before he took his his hood down, and then it asked him, "Are you a Mandalorian?" And he says, "I I swear my allegiance to no one." So no, he isn't. He ain't a Mandalorian. He wears his father's armor and he wears it proudly, but he's still at right now up into canon until maybe something comes forward. There was a little hint of it that we'll get to in the book of Boba Fett that maybe he has a slight interest in. We'll get to that when we get to it. Yeah. But for right now, Django, yes, he is a foundling, and he is a Mandalorian. He fought in the Mandalorian Wars, as Boba had told us. Um, Another previously from Legends, it wasn't spelled out plainly. Folks have went and did translate and or read this, that Django's mentor was a character, or is, was a character that was previously Legends. They didn't spell out his name fully, was Jaster Muriel in the Legends. He was a pretender to being Boba Fett at one point in Legends continuity, but now he is part of current canon. Hmm. Yeah, neat, interesting stuff. And it did make a lot of folks that were really interested in Boba Fett back in the, in the early or the mid-90s with the comics run that made him kind of like how folks were thinking Luke Skywalker should have been. Yeah, Boba Fett was a, a character back then that was ruthless and bloodthirsty and would get into a fight just for the sake of going into a fight and causing a ruckus with folks. Right. Whether they wanted to or not. 
Now, this Boba Fett is a lot more in line with like Din is and like we said, Jeff mentioned previous, like Django was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's that line that I had spoke to previously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he did just kind of go and get it, but. Right, right. But, yeah. There was some yeah. shit going on that, you know, I don't think he could have said, you know, you mind if I run to your ship and grab my armor? <laughs> yeah, they were a bit tied up, and that window's open, and Bobo rightfully took it. Yeah, well, I think he need, needed the armor to go back and help him out, so. Mm-hmm. So now that. That has happened, and the kid is gone. Boba kind of feels to get involved with this. Yeah, he didn't help him out by getting the armor back to him in a manner of sorts. Right. And since the kid's gone, Boba feels obligated to help Din in return for the return of his armor. So he swears himself and Fennec to help him get the kid back as a way of saying thank you for returning a family heirloom to me. So then now we get to see the Slave One head off to Planet Fall to, we ain't rightly sure where this, where this is in the galaxy. Oh, no. Yes, we are. This would be Navarro. Right. I was about to say, isn't it? We went back to Navarro. Mm-hmm. Where she is... Well, she was previously the marshal of the city of Navarro, but right. now it seems that those strikes she were – yeah, it ain't just in relation to Navarro. This is in service to the New Republic. Right. So, yeah, Den's got this idea in mind. He's going to start putting together a crew. Oh, yeah. Go find out where exactly Gideon is, and this comes from back in season one, season one chapter six. Oh, yeah. Getting some Mayfeld again. Yes. From the prisoner. Sure. Niggs Mayfeld, who we now, he, we had learned, pre, we didn't know that he had a first name. No, we didn't. No. Um, interestingly, in some of my way back listening, we remember that didn't turn the tables on Megs and his crew, Xion and Berg, and the Droid Zero, or Q90. Some folks were kind of hoping to, to see or hear from some of those other three, and including Xion's brother, Quinn. Well, that didn't exactly. turn up, so they could likely be somewhere. It turns up that Kara finds him on what was previously an Imperial-held world called Carthon, and that would be in the neighborhood of the part of the galaxy that is galactic southwest, just a little bit northernly from where Hoth and Bespin are. Yeah, it it was taken over by the New Republic. It's a ship scrapyard, sort of like what Bracca is. In In labor camp. 
well, the Jedi Fallen Order and Jedi, yeah, the Jedi Fallen Order game. It's a uh, a junkyard. Yeah. And, and that's where it's a prison camp. So it's a work camp. Yeah, yeah. where Shion might be there and Berg might be there, but Miggs is definitely there. And right. Din's got it in mind to want to spring him because he knows that he was previously an Imperial sharpshooter. Right. And he could be useful. And I do love Carr's response when she goes, what do you want with him? And he goes, I'm going to spring him. And she just kind of looks at him and says, well, these stripes, you know, mean I, you know, I got to follow, you know, certain rules. And then when he mentions they have the child, she kind of like looked at him, you know, and that was it. She was like, you know, has to do with the kid. I'm helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know how she feels about Imperials. Right. Yeah, so she's definitely all in. She will find a way to make those bars just a little bit on the bendy side. Yeah. And just about to close this up, we go back to the light cruiser somewhere in hyperspace. Gideon goes from the bridge and is followed through the corridors by a couple of troopers to the brig and one of the cells in the brig where the kid's being held. Yeah. He goes through the blast doors. The kid's protecting himself as best he can in the only way that he would likely know how. There's two troopers that he's just tossing around like rag dolls, bouncing them off the bulkheads and looks to be pretty much force choking both of them literally at the same time until he wears himself out. Yeah. It was kind of humorous. And as you can see the, the look on Gideon's face, he found it rather humorous and he was enjoying watching this because he knows, you know, he has plans for the kid and yeah, well we, we know what those plans are now, but Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one, been one of the fun parts of this is what we know now, what we didn't know then. Yeah, and you could tell it – well, I always thought it had something to do with his Force abilities, and this kind of confirmed it when Gideon was taking pleasure in watching what he could do, and Gideon was probably thinking in the back of my mind, I'm going to be able to do that soon. So – when he teases him with this dark saber here, I was like, "Ah!" Oh. At first, I thought he was actually going to like almost like you know cut his hand off or something. <laughs> Why well, well, he thought that far? But yeah, he did have a little show of it, drawing the blade, and yeah. <laughs> And I kind of mesmerized by it and, and had to have the funny part with him reaching out for it and say, ah, oh, you're liable to take an eye out with this thing. Right. Yep. That old, you'll take an eye out line. But, yeah, I always thought it was kind of humorous when he told the troopers, put it in shackles. I'm like, do you see the size of him? But then when we see the little 
tiny shackles. I was like, oh, okay, they do make them in different sizes. Okay. But, but yeah, basically that was it. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Lieutenant Kane appears behind him as Gideon makes oh, that comment right. about, yeah, the shackles line to me was a bit funny. We've never seen, really seen, well, yes, I can't say that because we have been shown shackles that turned up that Han Solo in that mud pit where he met and wrestled Chewbacca was, yeah. Chewbacca was shackled. And Chewbacca was shackled in the New Hope when they went up to the detention block. But these ones have a particular blue glow to them that I hadn't quite put a thought to before. That no, I, neither did I. Could be in relation to, since we now know that Gideon was based on Mandalore, we didn't know this back then, that the same sort of uh, Mandalorian tech to imprison Jedi, we saw it in the Clone Wars, Season 7, when Maul right. is captured and is on the Venator going to Coruscant. He's in in uh, that force-proof chamber where he, he can't do anything. It has a bit of a red glow to it where these, these little binders that the troopers put on Grogu have a, a blue glow about them on the inside right. of the that would very likely prevent him from using the force in, in any way, shape, or form. And Gideon turns and says, when we come out of hyperspace, contact Dr. Pershing and tell him we have the child. Right. Tell him we have the asset or however you put it. We're our donor. Yeah. So we know at some point coming up, we're going to get to see Dr. Pershing again. Don't know how yeah. just yet, but... Lieutenant Kane says, yes, Moff Gideon. Yep, and that's how the episode ends. So. Yep, that wraps up Chapter 14, where we see, yep, the kids out after being stunned and in Force Finders. And we go black. Two credits. Yep. And we have to sit around and wait a week knowing that Grogu is in the hands of the Empire. A neat little bit of trivia that I was recently reminded the past few weeks as uh, Lucasfilm and Mr. Favreau were getting set to put this episode together in the production part, filming of it. The director he had in mind at the last minute couldn't couldn't take part, which kind of set things at a, a full stop for, uh, as the kids say nowadays, a hot minute. And so right. I thought, well, how do I fix this? I want to have somebody involved in this. And he had reached out to somebody else that was a friend and a fellow fan, uh, a director and filmmaker by the name of, Robert Rodriguez. Yes. At the very last minute, and he, he was absolutely thrilled. He's like, you want me to come help you tell a Star Wars story? Absolutely. So 
can thank Mr. Rodriguez for directing and watching some of the behind the scenes in the Disney gallery for this, where we get to see him on the set. Some folks over on the left coast were kind of familiar with where Tython in our galaxy was. Some of the rocky hills in, in Northern California, they're like, I right. look out my window and that's kind of like just be on the outskirts of my backyard. Well, for us over here in the east, aside what I'd said previously, well, that looks like Western Pennsylvania to me. Hmm. Yeah, I've never been to California. Likely may never will. I can't say never. The force works in mysterious ways, as as we say. Right. Yeah, that was one of the neat little fun facts about this that I was just weren't really familiar in a way. Mine might have seen uh couple things that he did when my girls were over, but weren't directly familiar with him. But yeah, as far as chapter 14 goes, we did it. Yep. And next week we'll be back with chapter 15, The Believer. Getting ever so closer to the end of season two. Two chapters left to go. Yep. And then on to season three or on to those uh, onto that episode of Book of Boba Fett that ties in with The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's probably what we'll do. We'll probably, after we do Chapter 16, The Rescue, we'll jump on over to Book of Boba and do that episode that ties in with The Mandalorian and jump back to Season 3. But, yeah, we're almost out of Season 2. And for any listener friends that have come along this far, I want to take one, just a few seconds to touch on some of the very recent news from this week where we were told by Lucasfilm that we are getting new stories in the next two or three years. And this is still very brand new news right now that there has to be a new story that is now taking the place of what was previously going to be Ray's new Jedi Order. It was set to be put together. It's going to start filming. Possibly, it's kind of delayed at the moment. This news is really just only a couple of days old. Right. Um, on Tuesday, we were told that, yes, Mr. Favreau has a story that he wants to start to put together called The Mandalorian and Grogu. Some folks were having, could, could you name that a little better? Can, can you stop putting stories together that have literally characters' names in them? But yeah, I, and just a touch on that. I don't know what the big deal is. It's a title of a movie. Exactly. Who, cares? Who really maybe, cares? Maybe it's a working title right now. Maybe it ain't. I'm thinking it ain't. They thought long and hard on how they wanted to name this, just like they think long and hard and look long and hard at all the things before we are ever shown months and months and months, maybe a year previous, how the, how Thrawn's going to look like to them before we get to see him, how Hera's going to look like to them before we see her, how Sabine's going to look like to them before we see her. Right. Yeah. All those details looked at and scrutinized by them for a very long time, long before we get to see him. That's, and, yeah, that's one thing I never understood, why people 
oh, that name just sounds wonky or stupid or just like with uh, the Ghostbusters franchise, which I also love. Um, when Ghostbusters Afterlife was announced, people, some Ghostbuster fans were taking issues with Afterlife mm-hmm. as the subtitle. I'm like, it's, it's just a subtitle. And the new one that's coming out in March, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. People were taking issues with that subtitle. Empire refers to New York City people. It refers <laughs> to city. The New York City is the Empire State, or New mm. York State is the Empire State. So that's what it's referring to. But they were taking issues with that, and I'm like, it's just a subtitle. Titles never really bother me, so if they do change it, they change it. But right now, Mandalorian, the Mandalorian and Grogu, yeah, okay, it's going to be a movie. That's the title. And I also heard some people were concerned that, oh, this means there's not going to be a season four of Mandalorian. Not necessarily. No, that right now is still up in the air. Right. Um, Last year, they said that it's done. So. Yeah, that turned up in a couple different spots. Last year, where around spring, early summertime, Lucasfilm was considering taking season four and make it into a film. And over a couple months, making Star Wars Investment Bulletin got a hold of it from their sources. They each have their own independent sources who do not know or affiliated with each other. They come from Lucasfilm, and they shot that down. That, that weren't nearly the case. And then it happened again just this past November where somebody went running it around that season four is going to be a film. It's not going to be Disney Plus. And for the second time, Jason and Bespin shot it down. Yep. And it's starting to run around again where folks are crossing lines. And a lot of it is born out of our fandom and speculation where – some folks are thinking there is going to be a season four, but it's only going to be six episodes, and then the final two are going to be Dave Filoni's Mandalorian crossover film that brings the Mando, Ahsoka, and Skeleton crew all together. That ain't rightly confirmed yet. This is still – we're just days and hours into this. Just sit right. tight. Let things get – Played out because Lucasfilm is still getting this stuff sorted too as they're ramping up pre-production on the Mandalorian and Grogu and season four. So yep. season two is getting set for pre pre-production and it is in the phase of Dave writing the stories. Let this stuff play out and if you're really interested to kind of find figure out what this is, I wouldn't say it wouldn't be so much spoilery if you're looking for the facts. Of the stuff, bookmark Bespin Bulletin. Right. Bookmark making Star Wars. Bookmark making Star Wars on YouTube through the weekdays. Jason puts up different streams. If he's got a thing, he will share it with to get this all sorted out. So just step back. I, I get it. We love this stuff all so much, but remind ourselves, like, I learned my lesson years ago. We're a long ways outside the Lucasfilm walls. Right. They love this stuff like we do. Let them get it sorted out and ironed out because there's a lot that goes on. 
So many moving parts, even in the pre-production and the concept stuff. Let them get it sorted out. They're going to put it together. They love it like we do. Let them get it sorted out. And if it takes a couple months, when it's time for us to tell us a thing, they'll tell us the thing. We've been right. scolded for years. Just patience. Patience. And I'll just throw real quick here before we sign off here. Um, for a, another bookmark, I have I've been listening to this podcast for quite a while now. It's a daily podcast. comes out every day. But mm-hmm. it's, it's about eight to ten minutes long every day, so it doesn't take long to listen to. The gentleman that does the podcast is very knowledgeable with Star Wars and, you know, takes a good hard look at some stuff. And in those ten minutes, you know, he, you know, tells you facts and he'll, he'll let you know what's fact and what's his opinion. So, but it's Star Wars 7 by 7 very quick. Short podcast every day. I mean, and when I say every day, I mean every day, seven by seven, Monday through Sunday. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't take holidays off. This guy show every day. It's audio and YouTube. So go check it out. Um, I've, I mean, lately I've re- really been enjoying his some of his takes on stuff and the whole issue. I'm not even going to try to attempt to say her name because I always butcher it, but the director of the new Ray movie that's coming out with her comments as she came out, that came to light, and her her comments were made back in 2015. This Mm -hmm. is 2015, people. And his whole take on, you know, that whole situation was, I thought was awesome, the way he shot it down and was like, this isn't a controversy, this is just – you know, trolls being, you know, looking for someone, something to gripe about again. So, trolls but, doing that. Trolls does. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, that would be my quick recommendation. I'll, Any, I will definitely concede. I'll concede mine. Yeah, to to Jeff that Seller Seven by Seven previously was in my pod library and and. Things parted ways because it doesn't matter why. But, yeah, um, I support all Star Wars podcasts, whether we call one another friends or not. Definitely would recommend 7 by 7 Give them a listen. If you got seven minutes a day, it oh, is yeah. that I recommend Star Wars Meg for eight to ten minutes a day. Yeah. 7 by 7 yeah. You get two, two uh, pods to listen to that are – you know, obviously doable. Yep, obviously doable every day. Yes, I did get over the holidays. I did get behind on seven by seven, but you know what? Yesterday morning I was caught up in like less than forty minutes. So, <laughs> but that's how short his his episodes are. But yeah, go check them out. And any last words, RFB? Yeah, I haven't got to say previously on our past couple episodes, for the Empire. And as always, until next time. I have spoken. Give the evacuation code signal. RFB and I would like to thank you for joining us here in the cafe. Life is all about passions. 
Thank you for lending us your ear while we shared all of ours. You can follow the Blue Milk Cafe Facebook group, Blue Milk Cafe Pod. And remember, Blue Milk, it does a body good. Mm -hmm.